discussing sharing with intentionality. If you've been with us, you know this is our third week. Usually I just go straight through a book. Next week we'll begin going through 2 Corinthians. We did that in the spring, and interestingly, most people think that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in the spring and then wrote his follow-up in the fall. So we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians beginning next week. But we've taken a break to look at this idea and really this, this command of evangelism. And if you recall, we started on sharing with conviction. And the conviction was we actually do have good news to share that that is a great starting point for talking about evangelism, which means quite literally, I share, I preach, I declare the good news. We do have good news. That's a part of the conviction. And another part of that is that we have a responsibility to share that good news in loving obedience to the command that Christ himself gave in some of the final words that he said to his disciples. So that was sharing with conviction. And we should do it. Uh, and then the second week, we looked at sharing in dependence. That we went through 13 chapters of the book of Acts, kind of rolling through this New Testament church expansion where people are now who were huddled together in fear going out in boldness declaring the gospel. How could they possibly do it? Because it's not of human origin. And therefore, we must rely on God's Holy Spirit who is the gift that Jesus leaves. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit and says, now go and be my witnesses. We cannot do that in our own strength. Otherwise, it would be simply a human endeavor. And that is against the very nature of the gospel and the message that Christ himself says, I will be with you. And the seal of that reality is his Holy Spirit indwelling his people. So we must, if we are going to do this thing called evangelism, be utterly dependent on God's Holy Spirit. And that's what we looked at last week. So should we do it? Yes. How, is it even possible? Absolutely, but only if we rely on God's Holy Spirit. And if we have those two things in mind, then we say, okay, I know I can rely on God's Spirit. I, that, that's a good starting point for all of us. I know I've got good news, but how in the world do I go about doing this? So we're going to look this morning at sharing with intentionality, being intentional, making the most, I love this phrase we'll look at in a second, of every opportunity that is presented. You are on, on looking for every chance you have to engage in the opportunity to begin spiritual conversations. And that is, that's something that we're all invited into, but it seems like a large task. We can't cover everything, but we're going to think together a little bit about sharing with intentionality. Two weeks ago, Jennifer shared about the way God has moved in her heart to be involved in evangelism. Last week, Terry talked about her own journey as well, very much in dependence on the Holy Spirit. And this week, we invited Angel to come and to share about how he engages with this idea of sharing evangelism intentionally. So, Angel, the time is yours, bro. Come on, bring the noise. <laughs> I'll take the clicker. Yes, I yeah. will give it to you. <laughs> Good morning, buenos dias. <laughs> and thank you for the song in Spanish, uh, Gio. That touched my heart. It felt so good. And uh, thank you, Pastor, for... Uh, I feel a privilege being able to talk to you and thank with Terry and Jennifer, the great words they have for us the last few weeks. 
My name is Angel Colon. Uh, I'm originally from San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, I knew, like pastors show, I knew of Christ, but I didn't know Christ. And I ended up in a Christian college here, and a, a professor uh, spent a few hours with me telling me the difference between Catholicism and Protestants. Uh, my wife wasn't, so he was intentional about showing that. My wife was intentional about inviting me to revival and accepted Christ. Uh, God radically changed me. He really did. And guess what? I was excited, still I am to this day, to share everything he did in my life. And uh, the thing is, just like Terry said last week, I didn't know how. I had no clue. So I ended up in a Baptist church out of all places, Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I was trained on evangelism explosion and later on on street evangelism. And it's amazing the work that you can see God doing. He's just using us. We're just his vessel. We don't do the work. And so today I want to share, Pastor asked me to share about how I've done this intentionally. And so let's see. So the first thing, like last week, is about praying without ceasing every day, every, every time. And that he brings you someone in your life. And if you look at these questions here, do you know someone who's hurting? Do you know someone who needs the Lord? Do you know someone who's lost someone? We all have that. So start praying about those that we have around us that probably you could answer. I think we all can. And then those like me that know of Christ, have some knowledge of Christ, but don't know him. And so I love to share with my Catholic friends, not that they're all lost. No, they're just some that don't know Christ. And that is my passion, especially also if they're Hispanic, that's even better. <laughs> um, but then you see here three pictures of Christ. He was intentional about the women in the well. He didn't just show up there for no reason. He was not supposed to talk to her, and he did. He was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. He was a man. That was a no-no. And then, obviously, Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector, the worst person you could think of. And he stopped and invited him. To his, to his own house, and we know what happened afterwards. And then Paul, how he, this was a Christian killer, and he intentional reached to him. Amazing about intentionality. Now, the how is always, so how do I do this? Um, you know, here you see in this verse, gentleness and respect. Res I, I heard the best definition of respect, which is acknowledging, not agreeing. So if you meet someone from another religion, you don't agree with them, but you still acknowledge where they're at in their spiritual life and find out where they're at. And the next thing is not only praying, but building relationship with those and assessing where they're at spiritually. Where are you spiritually? These two questions, I ask you, ask someone this week, these two questions. They're called the diagnostic questions, and they're, it's about finding about where someone's spiritually. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you're going to have it? Many people will tell you yes, but it's the second question which is, if God were to ask you, why should I let you in heaven? A lot of people will tell you, oh, I've done great things. Well, how many? And then you can take a conversation from there. I cannot tell you how many have been works. And then that's where you can start using, you know, verses like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and things like that. Uh, but this is, to me, the biggest one. It, it is meeting where they're at, uh, speaking their language. So I used to do the prison ministry in Cincinnati for seven years. And yet I had a story but here are these guys with tattoos, drug dealers. Uh, they've done everything wrong that you could ever think of. Uh, and I said, I need to find something. So I prayed, Lord, I need a story, you know, to really impact this man. And there were also the women's ministry, but especially men. I mainly saw men. And I prayed that week. I saw the story. God put the story, Renette Level Martinez. This guy was a gang member. 
He's a bare-knuckle fighter. He fought Kimbo's life. You're into MMA. He was a big fighter. I think drugs, these are it's the worst, as, as worse as it can get. But here I am, all this guy. I needed a story that they could relate it into. And so you should have seen what happened as, as soon as I started sharing not only my story, but more a story that they could relate to. And it was amazing what the Lord would do in those services. So make sure it's something that relates to them. And then um, I also have, this is pretty cool for kids or someone who's visual. I use it a lot in mission trips. It's really fun. It's the Evangicube. Uh, I can tell you, when I was in Mexico, uh, people really wanted, can, can I keep it? <laughs> but it's really, you just go around and tell the, the story of Christ, and then at the end, he's, he's the way to heaven. And so it, it's a really cool. It tells you how to do it. It's got a page inside the box that you can share in three, five minutes. You can share, and it, it's, it's just been a lot of fun. But God has worked through this, too. So there's many ways you can do it, but I'll tell you your own story, but also add a story. Maybe someone that you know that can relate to that person, maybe you need to bring them in into the conversation. So that's with intentionality. The next thing is, I told you I will tell your story, but find common ground with that person. What is it that she or he is going through that I've gone through that I can tell you, here's how God worked through me in this situation. And then for me, I'm going to use the example of uh, my Catholic uh, friends, is there's all these verses that you can memorize, but the, for me, were this for? This is what changed my life. The first one is born again. I didn't know what born again was. So John 3, 3, with the, 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 where Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. John 1, 12 was huge to me. I didn't know I had to receive him. 1, 12 tells you for those who receive him, they'll have the right to be children of God. And then John 14, 6, on the way through that life, no one comes to the Father. Oh, I don't have to go through a priest anymore. That was a big change for me. And then the last one is Ephesians 299, not by works. I thought it was, hey, I'm doing great things, helping others. Well, that's not enough. <laughs> and so this was key four verses for me. Find verses that maybe apply to that person that are relevant to where they're in their lives. In their lives. Uh, the next thing, the why. Well, I wrote, I put some. I bet if I ask each one of you, we can fill these walls of what the, what the why, what the Lord has done in our lives. This is the most important. Not only I have eternal life, hope, rest, peace, unconditional love. Don't we need that today? <laughs> so there's so much that it's happened since I accepted Christ and that we can share with others. This is what he's done for me. This is the most important. Who doesn't want this today? We need it. <laughs> and lastly, in closing, I'm going to do a twist here. What if someone is intentional about coming to you and, say, and ask you, how do I get saved? So it happened, it's happened to me, but I'll tell you one. I go to a Bible, a Bible study on Friday mornings, and there's a Catholic gentleman, and you're talking about a God thing. One day, we showed up to the building, and no one showed up but him and I. And I'm like, wow, did we miss an email or something? So the conversation started. He goes, hey, by the way, I, told, I, I heard you talk about being saved. You know, how do you get saved? And God did the rest. So, you know, God will bring you people. You know, God was, uh, Pastor was praying about those moments, uh, how God can, you know, sometimes do it for you. He will do it. The Holy Spirit is the one doing this. We're just a vessel. And I was shocked about that question because I wasn't even expecting that this would happen. But what are the, pers the probabilities that I show up, he shows up, and no one else does? And these questions come up. That is the Holy Spirit, Terry, as you spoke. That is a Holy Spirit moment right there. So, like Pastor said, pray, pray, pray. He will. There's plenty of people that need this. Thank you.
on hell, you were on fire. <laughs> that was awesome stuff. You know, it's, I think what we've really wanted to do is to engage your hearts. If you're already somebody who's on board with the Lord, you can, you can do this. And there are other people who are doing it. And you may not feel like it's your gift. We get that, but because I don't. I've said I don't have the gift of evangelism. I prayed for it, but that doesn't mean I don't engage in evangelism. There are some people who do have that gift. And, you know, if I were a church planting consultant and I'm meeting with a church planter, I would say, you know, pray for the gift of evangelism. But if you don't get it, pray that God brings you evangelists also. But even if they don't come, pray that God would give you the capacity to equip those who are non-evangelists to evangelize. And I think that's, that's probably where most of us feel like we are. But I wanted you to see that you're not alone, that this can be done. And it is a thrilling journey as we lean into what God's calling us to do as we engage in this. And I'm excited to see hopefully what comes from this. Um, we had a Saturday seminar yesterday. I thought it was a great turnout and really able for us to kind of think a little bit more about how do we get involved in this and what's my individual story. And you'll hear one of those examples of that a little bit later. But what I want to do now is kind of go back and start at the book of Acts where we ended last time. We went through Acts 1 to 13 and we saw how this movement was going out from God's Holy Spirit, the dunamis, right? I will give you power. <clears throat> and these individuals are going out to the ends of the earth. One of them, whom Angel already referenced, was a guy named Saul, whose name was changed to Paul. And he became an amazing church planter, uh, somebody who was very articulate at expressing the gospel. He said pri primarily to the Gentile. Um, but he was also great with Jews, so he was really good at studying the culture and bringing the gospel to apply within the context of that culture. And just look at one example of that in Acts chapter 17, because this is a beautiful uh, picture of one of the ways we can begin thinking from Paul's example about how we bring the good news in our context around us. So just looking at Acts chapter 17, Paul has gone to Athens. And so this is not uh, a place that he uh, <clears throat> was primarily going, but he was traveling from place to place. And here's what we read. Men of Athens, he says, as he goes to the meeting place and stands up, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set forth for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So just 
to get it right out there from the beginning. The two things we see really in this passage are that Paul takes a look at this culture where he is and he connects with the culture. When he opens his mouth, he speaks on point with what's happening as he sees around him. And then he takes the gospel and he connects the gospel to their cultural questions. This is a really broad principle. And if you look at Paul, he does this quite frequently. So for those of us maybe who say, I'd like to be engaged in evangelism, but I don't know how to do it. It's good to look at somebody who's pretty good at doing it and learn from them, just like you would if you wanted to get good at anything else in life. I find this passage fascinating for a lot of reasons. But here's Paul coming to a new place, and he spends some time just looking around and observing and seeing what's happening. Before he stood up to talk, he noted as he walked around and looked carefully at their objects of worship. What is it that this culture worships? What is it that consumes their time? And in that context, he sees a lot of idols. And one of them says, it's to an unknown God. So he knows these people are religious. And when he begins then to open his mouth, he starts at the point where they're going to listen because he understands that's their culture. Let me just give you an example. If Paul were to come here today and walk around I'm curious what he might observe about our culture, how he would look carefully and see something and then think about what's being said by our icons or you might call them our idols as well. And my, my, my guess is because Paul lived at a very different time than we were, that if he were to look around, one of the things that he would observe is we all have cell phones. I mean, frankly, just... 25 years ago, if you were to somehow enter a time machine along with Doctor Who and come to our time right now, my guess is one of the things you would observe that you're like, that is very different, is this. Do you think that's an accurate assessment? Cell phones are a pretty significant cultural icon. Now, we know this is global, but just thinking about this right here, too, my guess is Paul would look around and say, what in the world is that? What is happening there? He would see us looking at it right now, constantly. So it might be worth asking, for example, what about this cultural icon, this reality, what is it that is meeting a need that we have that the gospel connects to? Because really that's what Paul does, is he connects the gospel to their cultural questions by addressing their felt needs. In that culture, they wanted to be religious they were looking for some answers. So he says, I see your religious people. You have a desire to know who created everything. I'm going to tell you who that is. I see your people who hold your phones all the time. What is the desire? What is the felt need that we get from having a phone with us all the time? That could be a discussion that goes on for a little while. I'm sure. But let me tell you just two considerations. One, because I know this myself, is there's a sense of security that comes in having this, or you might even say control. We have a fear of not knowing what's happening, or enter the world of a parent for a moment. Anybody heard of Life360? It's an app, or track my phone, or whatever. If this phone gets gone all of a sudden, and you have a handful of kids out, you're like, 
Where are, where are they? What's going on? I don't know where anybody is. Do you know we didn't have that not that long ago? How did we possibly survive? And, and we think we can control. We know what the weather is going to be. We know there's a sense of security that comes from feeling like we have access to information that gives us control or security as well. If that's a fair summary, more could be said about that. Think, for example, how we get the opportunity to connect with the culture. Everybody has one of these things. And ask some questions about, what are you getting from this? That at the end of the day, doesn't quite get you where you need to be. And I think it's quite fascinating, because even if you apply what Paul says here, too, even with the phone. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by human hands. God doesn't live in your phone. This is a temple we're all worshiping and bowing down to it in one way or another oftentimes because we're designed to worship something. How's that going? Why is anxiety and depression so rampant? Why are these things happening in a, in a place where we have relative security? Here we are worshiping a certain thing, and it's challenging because they're, I'm not saying this is all bad. It's right, proper use, proper time. But since we're inclined to worship, we're, we're wanting to worship something. So we're left with a felt need. This isn't quite getting it done. And yet there's a God who made the heaven and earth. Who's really in control of everything? If this is true... God made the heaven and the earth. He's spoken into existence. Do you think this is going to give us a sense of security or the God who created absolutely everything, including you? You really want to know security in a sense of, I don't know what's going on? Then the gospel says you can know it because there's a God who created everything and you. And guess what? You have a start date and an end date in terms of a gravestone, but he has none. You will never have a sense of safety and security and peace if you're trying to find it in a device that says, I'll give you something that can never really truly be delivered. Because you weren't designed that way. Only God can do that. Think about connectivity. I think another thing that these phones promise are connection. We crave connection. We want to feel connected either to something bigger than us or to other people as well. I have friends in college ministry. Do you know what they're, they're have, they have to do to college students these days? Teach them how to make friends. No, no kidding. They're like, we, these people don't even know how to make friends. And yet they've got thousands of connections on the phone. How deep do those connections go? Why do we want those connections? You were designed to connect. Designed to connect with others and certainly to connect with God. But you see, in our culture, all those connections don't seem to go very deep, do they? There's still something missing. So Paul is saying, look, there's a God who made the world and everything in it. And he's, he's done something here in verse 26. From one man he made every nation that they should inhabit the whole earth. He determined exactly where you should be, when you should be, so that you can seek out and find him. There is somebody who you are designed to connect with. It's the God of all creation. And the only way that you can connect with him, as we heard before, is through Christ, who he sent. The connection you long for in a phone can be had only in a relationship with God, ultimately. That's it. You don't need phone connectivity when your battery dies 
In fact, I think some of us who are honest would say, that's when I start really connecting with others and with God. But you see, this promises so much. This is our cultural icon, and we bow down before it to our own peril. And I, I wonder if maybe Paul were here, he wouldn't start with something like that. You see, you all have an opportunity to look and see and wonder. And though this may seem like a long ways away because you're not walking to Deerfield Town Center across the way or Walmart and seeing shrines and idols that you can buy for 99 cents at the self-checkout lane, but everybody's looking at their phone. Why is that? What's really happening there? What's underneath all of that? Because if it becomes ultimate, well, then you have what you have. So each one of us has an opportunity then to take a moment. This is kind of big picture stuff. I, I feel like this is big overview. Like Paul goes into any culture, and he looks at it, and he connects those icons or those idols, and he says, that is a felt need we all have but you cannot get it fully met unless you are in relationship with the one who designed to meet those needs. And that only happens through Christ. That's the message of the Bible. So that's, a, that's kind of a big picture demonstration of one way that we can begin thinking about evangelism. Some of us live in that world of philosophy and big thinking, and we just let, some of you are like, I just want to make lunch and get it served. So I don't know where you are on that, but I invite you to be reflective about what this says about the deepest needs that we have and the opportunity you have. I assume everybody you know has a phone or a device. There's an opportunity to say, I wonder what we're really trying to do with these things. Now, Paul doesn't stop there because he also later writes some letters to these churches that he has largely been a part of starting. One of them is in the book of Colossians. And so the first thing he does is we see an example in Acts 17 of how he applies this. Then he writes a letter to a church and he says, here's how you can be involved in me being somebody sharing the good news, but also you yourselves can do this. And he gives an example of kind of what that looks like. He invites them into it. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You can see I put bold there, a repeated phrase there, pray, pray, pray. So Paul, who arguably was one of the people who could talk about who Jesus was and the Messiah, if you're familiar with the Bible, he knew the Old Testament. He was proving Jesus is the one who was promised. He could engage with Jews on that level in dialogue and synagogues with the greatest teachers of the day. Then he'd go out to Gentiles, look at new cultures, discern and distill through that. How does it connect to what's happening here? Go into a public space, argue and everything. And he says, if you don't pray, none of this matters. So it's even somebody who is, is as skilled as him at doing this. He says, you better pray. Otherwise, all we're doing is putting some words together, and it's not effectual because as we've seen, God's spirit 
is the one who brings that to life. Now, we do have a role. We are going to proclaim it clearly, as we should. But he says, you've got to pray. So I can say for sure, if at the end of three weeks, we leave and we don't pray, we're just, forget about it. It's not, we've just wasted our time. So we need to pray. Good news. Here's a way that you can begin doing that. In your bulletins, you will find a bookmark. And that bookmark is an opportunity for you to begin to pray and to pray for five people in your life. You can write those names down. I've done this off and on in the past as well. And I always wonder if somebody finds that bookmark and their they see their name on it. I'm like, oh boy, what are they going to think about this? But I guess it would be a conversation like, I love you, I care for you, you know. This is a great place to start. Um, yesterday in our evangelism training, uh, the man who was kind of, did some videos and, and we were uh, considering some of his comments too, uh, talked about praying for Bob. And you know, I thought, we talked last year about taking a sip, which is start in prayer. So maybe this is a good place to start. Take a sip and pray for Bob. <laughs> All right? So taking a sip is starting in prayer. And that, that was a big theme for ours last year. Take a sip, take a sip. Every day, just start in prayer. And as soon as you wake up, Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of the Lord God, have mercy on me. If that's the kind of prayer that you want to pray, do it. Start there. But then he said, his, I thought this was very helpful. Pray for Bob. And the Bob, the B, I didn't put the capitals here, but just pray that you have a, God gives you a burden for the lost. That you care. That you have a concern for the people around you who don't know Jesus. Pray for that burden. And then, pray for open doors. Uh, pray for uh, opportunities. And, and, and Paul here talks about that. Pray that I would have open doors, in verse 3, for our message. So we're not coming in, you know, all, all uh, like with, with a bunch of artillery and, and, and coming there and saying, I got the gospel. <laughs> and trying to mow people down along the way and just leaving carnage everywhere. We're, we're looking for like open doors, you know. Uh, that's God's spirit doing the work. Part of what we get to engage in is saying, I don't, you know, you're asking questions, you're discerning. God's spirit is giving you a sense of, is this person open or not? If they're not, if they come back at you with hostility, we're not looking for Kimbo Slice versus Martinez in this, in the world of ideas. You can pray silently. So there... And you know what? I'll bet you if you say, God, give me an open door, maybe this is why you don't want to pray. He might give it to you. <laughs> he might say, here, here comes somebody saying, my life is a wreck right now. Pray for open doors. I dare you! And then, pray for boldness. The, the, when, when that's presented, that you wouldn't be tight-lipped or loose-lipped. I remember hearing a sermon before on this passage, it talks, some of the translations suggest you're just natural. You're just natural in your speech. It's not like you have to, you know, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know what I'm talking about when you get together with other Christians. A little insider image here, if, if, those, if you, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And we talk about how the Lord's been at work and, you know, would you pray for me with this, everything. And then you get around non-Christians, you don't say any of that stuff. 
Because, and there may be understandable reasons. There's a context and everything. But they're talking about whatever they want to talk about all the time, naturally. And some of it, some of the image of this is just being natural, just being who you are. Just speaking about that. Hey, I'll pray for you. What can I pray? We would do that with a Christian. Just something to consider. And I think that's a little bit of what boldness has in mind. Just, just be you. Just, just be natural. And we make a lot of accommodations, understandably so, because the world has some very negative ideas about what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be associated with a church or what it means to do something like evangelism. And there are probably some good reasons why people feel that way. But that doesn't dismiss the reality of the message itself or the sincerity which you might have as you enter into that conversation. Maybe you're the person who's going to be honest with them and say, that's true. I am saddened by that as well. But let's look together at Christ, because you're looking at Christians. And the very starting point of Christians is we're all sinners. It's not an excuse like you can just be mean or mean-spirited, but it does explain why you look at the church and say, I don't want to be part of that. I look at the church sometimes and think, I don't want to be a part of that but I want to be attached to Christ. And that's the beautiful, messy bride, that he is one, and I am that person, so but for the grace of God go I. And that kind of sincerity and honesty, which I think is just being natural, most people find that refreshing. It breaks my heart when I see negative examples, but those, those people aren't Christ. My savior is who I follow. And I've said before, there's a book called They Smell Like Sheep, right? It's about leadership in, in the church. And if you're part of a big herd and you look around, all you do is see a bunch of stinky, dumb people. There's shepherds but there's, there's, that are sheep, but there's a shepherd out there that we're following. And he is the one who we keep our eyes on. No wonder Paul says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author of our faith and the perfecter. You start looking at other people, you're going to go astray. Yes. Don't do it. And so you have to begin to pray that God brings you to take a sip and pray for Bob. I don't know if that sticks with you or not, but at least it's a, an interesting starting point perhaps. Now, the other thing he says here too is pray and practice. So we pray about opportunities, but then we get to practice it. And so Paul says here, pray for me, pray for these things. But he also is telling them to do some things. And look what he tells them to do. He says, first of all, be wise in the way you act. Look at verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. So the first two through four verses he's talking about devoting themselves to prayer. That's something to do, praying for me. But then here's what you can do. Be wise in how you act. Wisdom. What is the right thing to do? How do I respond? And taking stock of the fact that the way you do live your life and respond is noticed by people. If you say that you're a follower of Christ and somebody knows that, of course, Paul says you're like a letter being written. And some of us might feel the burden, as it were, to be perfect. That is not the Christian life. We aim, certainly Paul says at one point, to perfection, but we will continually fail. We struggle with sin. So wisdom in how you act might mean as much saying, I'm sorry as anything else. I've made a mistake. I've been clumsy. 
I spoke harshly, I spoke rashly. That's, that's a piece of it. But it is worth considering. How do your actions demonstrate what you really believe? Are you behaving with integrity in your place of work? Are you in, in your neighborhood? Are you known as somebody who's just like, stay away from that house because they hate everybody? And then you put up, come to an Easter service in your yard or something like that. I mean, be, be wise. He says, do calculate, consider the quality of your life and the actions and the things driving you. And you could talk for a while about that. I already mentioned this, but for somebody like me, who loves thinking in terms of adventurous days, I get so easily bored. If you think of making the most of every opportunity, that to me is kind of fun. Like if you wake up in the morning and think, what opportunities does God have for me today? It can get a little exhausting if you're tired. Or if you're just like, I just want to go on white noise. I get it. But this is Paul saying, there are opportunities in front of you all the time. What are you doing with that? How are you using it to the best of your ability? And the wonderful thing about it is, I have different opportunities than you do. I have a different family, a different neighborhood, a different work environment, and I speak maybe a different language, I have a different cultural backdrop. But each one of us then, as we were reminded earlier, has been put exactly where we are, when we are, for a purpose. It's either to reach out and know God or to tell others about him. That's, you know, it's no mistake you live here. And I know I've apologized for Cincinnati before. If you're somebody, I think it's an awesome city, by the way. Um, the Bengals are still a very distant second for me in terms of rooting for football teams. But this is where God has me. And even if you don't like Cincinnati, you might as well start embracing it because this is no mistake that you're here right now. God has determined the exact place and time you should live. You want to live a little house on the prairie days? Watch it on Netflix because you live right now with cell phones. And it's no mistake. God has you here for a purpose. And part of it is so you can make every, every opportunity the best. And one of those ways is to speak with grace. See how he says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. And that image of salt is, you know, it's a preservative. It gives flavor. So one of the things you can, when you talk, are your words actually flavoring or preserving the culture around you? So simple. I mean, Ephesians 4.29, it's such a great thing. Let, let your conversation, right? Nothing unwholesome should come out. Only that which is profitable for building others up. Can you imagine... If we sort of all adopted that philosophy and say, my words are going to be life-giving, it is much easier to do the opposite. There's lots of ways to illustrate that truth. It's much harder to build than it is to tear down. And one of the reasons a lot of people end up with sort of these tapes playing in their head is because of the words of somebody who tore them down. And, the, and they believe it. The thief came to steal, kill, steal, steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus came that he might have life. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you want to be life-giving in your words. And it might mean that you have to, like, kind of bite your tongue a little bit. When, if you've got, like, a, I don't know. I've been called snarky before in my bad moments. So biting, biting your tongue, I mean, it's just, this is a good zinger. A little bit of wit, a little, whatever, it can be very dangerous. So I've had to learn just to 
be quiet. You know, Job says, put a seal over my lips, <laughs> right? Like, okay, sometimes I just need to not talk, even though this would be so good. Has so many implications that just cut deep. No, I'm going to commit to be life-giving, not only to those around me, but to people certainly who don't know Christ yet. And look, if you look back and say, I failed miserably, okay, join the club. But let's, let's change. Let's let God's spirit say, let's not repeat that mistake. Let's, let's move forward. And he can use even our worst mistakes for his glory. And the last thing he says is that you have to know how to answer everyone. Now, that sounds like an apologetics statement. You know, it's like overwhelming. How do I answer everyone? But for sure, the great starting point is your own story. What did God do in you? I mean, that's undebatable, right? It, it doesn't prove every single point, but you've got a story. So one of the challenges, even in engaging, is have you considered how you share your own story? Have you thought it through a little bit? Now, yesterday in our training, we practiced one-minute testimonies, 60 seconds to share your story. And you get to hear one of those. I'm going to challenge other people who are involved, maybe in the future, to do it. But Terry's going to come and share her 60-second testimony. No. So there's three parts to your testimony, what you were like before Christ, how you came to Christ, and your life after Christ. So can you, you guys hear her too? Yeah. You can? Can you hear her, Scott? It's just, can you turn that up? Okay. <laughs> so check me if you, if you hear all three of those, before Christ, how I came to Christ, and what my life was after Christ. And I'm going to start the 60 seconds right now. So I was growing up in a church that taught me that I had to be good to get to heaven. I had to do good works. I believed in Jesus, but I also thought that in addition to Jesus, I had to do good works. And so on the day I died, if my good works outweighed my bad, I'd go to heaven. If they didn't, I wouldn't. That's a very scary place to live. So for the first 20 years of my life, that's what I believed. And finally, my brother-in-law, who was a Messianic Jew, who was on fire for God, shared the gospel with me for the first time. And I was like... What? I don't have to work my way to heaven. I can trust totally in Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection. His blood washes away my sins. It has nothing to do with what I do. It was so freeing. And so I went from looking at God as a judge in the sky getting ready to zap me if I did something wrong to looking at him as a perfect heavenly father. And he has changed my life, and I am so grateful for the free gift of eternal salvation. And I have two seconds left. <laughs> One of the, I think, great exercises of doing that is it really kind of forces you to think kind of back on your own journey, you know, to, to be precise about it and to kind of condense it into something that is really able to be communicated to others. And, and the theme verse really for this whole thing is kind of comes out in that reality too. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Wow, I think that's amazing. Like if we have the opportunity as we try to, 
talk about what God has done, it unlocks a deeper understanding and appreciation of what we actually have in Christ. And doing that, uh, going through that exercise is, is good. And I, I mean, I've been able to share my, my own story in different contexts and different ways, but even kind of reworking that and thinking it through yesterday, and then I even altered it after yesterday to think, how would I be able to say this in a very concise way about the things that matter most to me? I also want to let you know that this is kind of, I don't know if we still have that screen. Did I go past it? This is in, we have these Redeemer journals, which we use and encourage in life groups. And one of the very first pages here talks about God's space, which is a book that some people are going through in their life groups. But it starts off with, with pray too. But all these other things are kind of direct applications for ways that we can begin the process of evangelism, looking around, noticing what's going on, even just coming alongside and serving somebody, really listening to somebody else. I mean, asking a lot of questions, but taking an interest in them. And these wondering questions are great. Questions just to ask, follow up. I, I think it's, most people are very, most people want to talk about themselves. <laughs> and so give them an opportunity to do that and take an interest in them. And then hopefully if you have the permission before you, sh you share, he says, do you mind if I share? And you've got something to share too. And uh, so that's, that's just, I think, an, an, an opportunity for you to engage in that in the days ahead. So that's a lot. That's a lot of content. And I hope that you've seen the progress and that somehow it stirs inside of us a longing and a desire to look forward to what God is going to do next. So sometimes with response and reflection, this would be a, a, a great time to, to do that. But I'm also aware of, uh, of time. It's five till noon. Um, so when we, we get to this kind of response and reflection, let me just encourage you on the back end, on your ride home, uh, if it allows itself to, to happen. I know sometimes there's a lot of chatter going on and chaos. Just to sort this out. I challenge you to talk through what this is like, what hit you, what, what you felt um, like kind of moved you in a way to, what, what barriers do you have maybe to keep you from doing this and to challenge uh, those who you ride home with or even just spend some time praying on your way home. If, who are the five people I can put on this, on this bookmark and begin to pray for, you know, begin taking a sip and praying for Bob. Uh, maybe Bob's on the list. I don't know. Does anybody have a Bob? No Bob's? What about Bob? So that's just something I encourage you to do. Father, we do pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We pray, too, that you would give us a burden for the lost, opportunities to share, boldness when that happens. And we look forward to how that's going to be working out in our individual spheres of influence, the place where we exist. Help us to be natural, as it were, and eager to share the good news which we ourselves have received in such a way that we appreciate even more the vastness of the love which we have received ourselves in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.